Welcome to the GS Nation podcast. Our focus is personal development, health, wellness, mindset, and entrepreneurship. Show notes may be found at gsnation.com slash podcast, as well as on our YouTube channel and in the details section of your podcast app. Thanks for listening. We're your hosts, Carrie and Dave. Let's rock and roll. Hey, y'all. In this episode of the GS Nation podcast, Dave and I have a conversation with Brian Muka, the fear Sherpa himself. Brian tells us all about his background and his relationship with fear, his evolving relationship. He explains to us how fear is a good thing and how we can use it for our benefit. He takes us all throughout his journey leading up to his current venture, Fear Sherpa, a practice where he coaches people and helps them recognize their fears, harness their fears, and use them for good. We hope y'all enjoy this episode. So Brian Muka, Dave Robinson, what's up, man? Or Drob, Drob, as you're known in some circles, <laughs> D Rob. What's uh, up, Matt Bain? <laughs> <laughs> Drob in many circles. Actually. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. So yes. we are here with one of uh, Carrie and I's very dear friends, Mister. Fear Sherpa himself, Brian, um, had the pleasure of knowing this gentleman for about two years, and we seem to be side by side in many different journeys and, and um, you know life paths that we're kind of simultaneously heading in similar directions on. So really pumped to, to bring you guys this particular interview today. Uh, Brian's been a, a member of GS Nation for our entire existence as well. So we've had, uh, we share some coaching experiences with one mm-hmm. another and it, it's just really neat to have you on and share your story. It's, I have a very unique perspective in the whole GS nation thing. Mm. I remember when you pulled me aside and you're like, I need what you have. Like, I remember that. And we spoke at uh, change the world REA yep. and I did a 15 minute talk and you looked at me and you're like, I need what you have. I'm like, huh? I guess what I have is valuable. Yep. Right. So a world changer, as I saw you then, um, you know, was, uh, interested. I'm like, all right, cool. Cause you know, it's, it's, it's been a whole experiment up to that point, you know, practice coaching and using it with my sales clients and those things. And then I remember talking to you about taking the leap of faith, mm-hmm. you know, 1776. So you 72. Yeah. Oh yeah. Close. Right. You yeah. Know, Patriot. Right. Right. Military right, guy. Right, right, right. <laughs> I rounded up. <laughs> yeah. But I remember those conversations too. And I remember, uh, you know, my transitions now, um, with my face over the edge or the door of the aircraft, like I'm going to make this fucking jump mm-hmm. and I could feel what you were feeling. I'm like, man, I hope he makes the leap. And I, and I, in that moment I was like, man, I will do whatever it takes to show up for this guy. Cause I really believe in what you're doing. And that's turned into the Richmond's blue zone. And it's uh, as a coach, I've gotten so much, uh, out of watching you flourish appreciate that and thank you for showing up thank you for allowing of the folks that i work with um you do such a tremendous job of turning the ego off and allowing the surrender right that it's powerful yeah thank you yeah man it's a joy it's a joy working with you mr david robinson appreciate that yeah man appreciate that got a lot of good times ahead of us (laughs) oh man oh man many 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 um brian you referenced looking out of an aircraft. I did. And I think that people should hear about what you used to do. What I used to do. Okay. 
Um, so first, why I reference the airplane uh, has to do with military freefall. So I was a special operations guy, a platoon commander, uh, deployed to Iraq as a bomb technician, Navy diver, hooyah, deep sea, you know, all, those, all those fun things. <laughs> Um, and, um, the reason why I, in my work and my book and those things that I reference the skydive, it's such a beautiful analogy for life. So as you take off and smell the jet fuel, the anticipation grows. And the work that I do with folks is when the anticipation and nervousness show up, smile because nervous and excited are the same. It becomes part of a courage practice, right? So the plane continues to climb two and a half miles up. The side of the aircraft opens. It's a garage door. Cold air swirls. Plane levels up. You're weightless for a second or two. And uh, that's when the gratitude starts. God, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for this body. Thank you for this training that I get to go jump out of this airplane and experience some exhilaration. And then you get to the door of the aircraft. And I shut my brain off for five seconds because jumping out of an airplane is still fucking terrifying to me. <laughs> when I watch the person leap and to my reptilian brain they just kill themselves it's shocking to the whole system I can't watch like I cannot watch I was gonna say I cannot watch them like um, and it's weird I have to go first it's weird I got (laughs) talk about that in a second Um, but it's it's weird because in that moment like I feel what other people feel I can I know that they're experiencing exhilaration and I'm experiencing I'm still experiencing terror because I haven't leapt yet that's the analogy, right? So right before the jump is when the worry, the doubt, the terrible inner monologue is, is the worst. It's terrible. The final out. Yeah. Like, I could back down, but I'm more afraid of, like, why don't you jump today, man? Oh, I was scared. Said the fear sherpa, right? And I'm not saying that you shouldn't honor your fears. Like, it's, it's good that we have them. But there's a bigger fear of, like, hey, man. What, what happened? Like, I don't want to have that conversation. Like, that's scarier to me than, than the jump, right? The regret of not doing it. The regret is huge. That's mm-hmm. a lot about what we talked about uh, mm-hmm. when you were planning your exit strategy. Yeah. You know, into your ideal life. And so I take a deep breath. Smile. I picture the slide, you know, hitting the airstream and going down the slide into exhilaration. And the exhilaration would not exist without that visceral terror before it. It's the high, juxtaposition. The highs and lows. Yeah, it doesn't make... You know, if you want to taste the joys of heaven, you must first go to hell in order to experience the difference. Yeah. So so that was a way that we had as a commute to work. Um, so like I said, bomb technician in the United States Navy uh, is one of 17 selected in my particular year group from Navy ROTC into this special program. And um, it felt... It was like the first real miracle that I really experienced. I set my mind to it. I wrote about it. I could see it. Mm. Um, and I was obsessed with earning a rigger's belt. It may not mean anything to you, but think of like earning your black belt. Mm-hmm. These operators had this special webbed belt that you could clip on to the side of a helicopter so you do air operations. I, I could have just as easily gone to the exchange and bought one for 50 bucks or whatever it was. I wanted to be issued one, having mm-hmm. earned it. Earned it. Mm-hmm. Um, as fate would have it. There's just so many synchronicities in all of this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I joined Navy ROTC originally uh, because I wanted to run a nuclear reactor on a submarine. It was the closest I thought I could get to being an astronaut because as a kid, 
I wanted to be a steely-eyed missile man, like Werner von Braun. You know, I wanted to fly Tomcats, and then I wanted to be an astronaut. Mm-hmm. So by the time I would get to a place where I could, like, be in the space shuttle, we didn't have a space program, so thank you, universe, for steering me away from that, right? <laughs> <laughs> so my, my sophomore year, um, I was studying engineering at Drexel, and uh, I spent 28 days in a submarine. Or another way to say it is living in a clock devoid of sunlight. <laughs> yeah, it'd be tough. It, it didn't work well for me. It was before I really knew I had seasonal affective issues. I was just about to say, knowing you now... I have to have the sun. You have to have the ground. <laughs> I need to be grounded. <laughs> like, you... Like, I would have... Yeah, you know, obviously you know you better, but I would have been like, he needs dirt. <laughs> he needs... Yeah, I need dirt. He needs... Currently, currently barefoot. Th- this oh, guy's geez. barefoot... Probably Always. 23 out of the 24 hours of the day. It's true. Through all of the seasons, barefoot and shirtless, and, you know, it's get get the sun and get the ground. It's That's right. Fantastic. Get the sun, get the ground, get the breath, yeah. and, you know, play with your friends. So you realize that that yeah. wasn't for you. That wasn't for me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, those guys push, push really hard. Could we talk about that moment? Because I feel like a lot of times people really have trouble when they've reached their goal and they realize that it's not what they want. Mm-hmm. So for you in that moment, was it very easy for you to be like, oops, my bad, this isn't, you know, being in a metal box isn't for me, or did you struggle with the fact that you thought it's what you wanted? I struggled with it, because I, I still think the submariner's uh, mission is incredible. You know, they're exploring inner space. You know, I wanted to explore outer space, right? I mean, there was... 98% of the ocean that we have no idea what's happening, right? And uh, it is really cool. I love the camaraderie of the submarine community. The line between officer and enlisted was very blurred. And that, that's what I love. That's the environment that I thrive in. The way I led my platoon was best idea wins, right? And these are, these are some of the brightest people in the whole military, you know? There's never been a nuclear casualty that we've ever had. They run these nuclear reactors in ports in cities. Like, that's crazy, there's never been, there's never been an incident. Like that's how well the systems design. That's how well the training is 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 put together. And then they put this hot rock, right, using mass defect to literally create energy, right. And the duration of these things is limited only by the amount of food that they can carry, and the sanity of the crew, which typically is questionable mm-hmm. as it is. I fit in very well. <laughs> <laughs> These are my people. We're all weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a particular uh, brand of weirdo that uh, I, uh, that's attractive to me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so learn that that wasn't it. Uh, it was one of the coolest cruises. I spent, you know, five days on the beach in Saipan, uh, some beautiful snorkeling. Uh, and then, uh, we steamed it underwater for five days to Japan it was a really cool experience, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I could not do that as a career, right? right. So, um, as fate would have it, Sean Simmons, uh, he's had a very interesting military career. Uh, Naval Academy graduate, surface warfare ship driver. He was the class leader of his buds class uh, in becoming a SEAL. Uh, then he became our class advisor, started uh, EOD-style PT group. Uh, where he would beat the fuck out of us, mm. and I loved it. <laughs> Weirdo. Right. There's also a time in my life when I would hop on my bike and do 50 miles. I mean, I'm like, yeah, it's just Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, things have changed a little since then and now. Um, but, yeah, I, I, um, I, I loved suffering with these people in this way. There was just such a, a closeness to it, and I was intrigued. 
And it all changed in the moment when he's like, hey, Brian, or Midshipman Muka, I think you should join EOD. I have no business there. Yeah, I think you'd be a nice addition to that. And there's a, there's a theme as we go through this. You know, there's having an accurate map and having somebody that you trust be on your belay as you go to climb life's scary rock pitches, as it were. That's the exact example that we used in speaking with Jungle. Um, you know, getting from point A to point B, but losing the expectation of knowing how you're going to get there mm -hmm. and how a rock wall is equivalent to that. Or no, it wasn't Jungle. It was with Matthew, mm. our most recent podcast. Mm, okay. So, so Sean became my Yoda. Okay. He had the map. He knew how to train. He knew what my grades needed to be. And we put, we became architects of my plan to be selected as a special operations officer in the United States Navy. Um, I would train at Det Earl, New Jersey. Uh, interestingly enough, my future brother-in-law would be stationed there. Wow. Uh, it's really neat. This whole story is really, really uh, miraculous. Um, so I trained with those guys a couple times. And then uh, my dad worked at Lockheed Martin teaching Lean Six Sigma. And he had a, a lieutenant commander, uh, Navy officer there. And uh, his job was the uh, summer training coordination for midshipmen. That included ROTC and uh, the Naval Academy. And my dad was, you know, talking me up a little bit. He's like, yeah, my son wants to be a bomb technician. He goes, interestingly enough, I'm running the summer program for that. Uh, right now, it's only for Naval Academy midshipmen. There's a whole selection process. If your son were to be part of that, we would let him into that. Awesome. So I told my command. I, I told you, Penn ROTC, this is what I want to do. They said, we're not paying for that. I said, that's fine. I'll pay my own way. That's how badly I wanted this. So I got to spend two weeks with Det, um, Det uh, Norfolk in Virginia and then also Mobile Unit 2. Um, we jumped out of helicopters. We got to do helicast operations where they fly along at, at uh, 10 feet at 10 knots and you jump out. What? And you crawl back up the cadence ladder and go do it again with a big shit-eating grin on your face. Uh, we got to blow up flare pods uh, from F-14s. Uh, we did dive rescue stuff. We were doing problem solving while exercising uh, and simulating being able to give instructions over the radio. We were teaching each other how to tie bowlins and square knots uh, only with our words, not wow. being able to show that. I'm like, these are my fucking people. Had you worked with language like that before? No. Okay. No, not with that level of stress and not with that level of detail. Uh, detail. Having, right? yes. I mean. So this is incredibly intriguing to me that I needed, I needed to be fit enough to make it to the problem. And then I was going to go play chess with a bomb, with a bomb builder. Mm -hmm. While trying to keep your breath. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because on, on land, say under, it under, under control. Underwater, staying calm, you know, finding the center, Right. And this could have been, was this too when you were working with breath, maybe not even knowing it? or I hadn't gotten there yet. Okay. Uh, maybe. You know, I had seen background, so, you know, I had some breath training. True. Um, anyway, so I finished those two weeks, and I, like, best money I ever spent. <laughs> right. And I got home. I remember going to church. I lit every single candle and beg God, Lord, if it's possible, like, this is the, this is where I'm meant to be. It just felt right. This is where I belonged. It said all the Hail Marys. I did send <laughs> a lot of Hail Marys, yes. That would come in handy later, too, an angel of God's. That's, that's a favorite prayer of mine. <laughs> that's some dumb shit in my life. And I'm still here somehow. Uh, yeah, and I remember sitting in my uh, management information systems class, 
with uh, Chase Durbin, my training partner, who would go on to Buds, and uh, Mr. Chris Mosco. He followed me to dive school a year later. I got to pin him, and uh, he became an EOD tech as well. Uh, and then he was killed in Afghanistan, and uh, I miss him terribly. Um, yeah, we became a unit that was making special special warfare operators and special operations people as a result of Sean's work. Wow. And looking in retrospect, it's, you know, I don't regret anything that I did, but a lot of the reasons that we did what we did, you know, questioning why, why do we do it? Why do we pay such a high price, mm -hmm. right? And I don't want to get into that, but... Is, is, that, yeah. is that common amongst... I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know that there's a lot of, um, there's there's a dichotomy in me, a duality in mm -hmm. it, you know, because I had played a role in encouraging Chris to not fly airplanes but to become a bomb tech because I thought it was fucking awesome. And he's not here anymore, you know. So I don't wish for things to be a different way. I just, it's a complicated issue and sure. somehow we're still 19 years later fighting in Afghanistan. Yeah. It's neither here nor there. Yeah. Right. But I remember sitting in class with these men who I loved, who I would like, I would, we would drive in the wintertime to um, the Jersey Shore and we would do surf torture for fun, barefoot, you know, and then we would go get coffee and, and uh, you know, uh, egg sandwiches, uh, Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> and that was the Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> Love these men. And some of these guys went on to be Marine Special Forces and SEALs and um, that was my crew, you know. Mm hmm. Uh, I have a picture of me with a thermometer in my mouth that says 90.9 of my core temperature. And we're like, yeah, we're, we're getting after it. God, we were so dumb. <laughs> so dumb. Stupid. <laughs> but anyway. And then I would go on to be a Wimhoff instructor. Right, right, so, right, exactly. You know, it's, it's all building. Awesome. Dealing with cold. But I remember sitting in that class and just remembering, um, you know, uh, Lieutenant Shapiro called me and he said, you did get it. And I didn't hear that. I heard you didn't get it. Oh. And I heard, sir, sir, could you repeat that? It's, it sounds like, I don't understand what you just said. You, you did get it. Sir, please. Could you say that? M Midshipman <laughs> Muka, what is it about you're going to be an EOD officer you're not understanding? I'm like, holy fucking <laughs> shit. Third time's a charm. So I remember uh, the next morning at our, uh, there was all different kinds of physical abilities at, at our group PT, our morning PT at Odark 30 at Franklin Field in Pennsylvania, uh, Philadelphia. I remember, uh, and so when people do those exercises, like when you yell and you have that word that like really fires you up, hoo-yah, hoo-yah is the cry, right? And it's that particular moment when it was dark and I was trying to motivate my classmates, like I knew I was going somewhere special and I would do anything to fire them up, like the hoo-yah was, was it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, so that's how, that's how my whole journey started. Um, so from there I would graduate, I would get commissioned as an ensign in the United States Navy, uh, in, uh, June, 2006. Uh, I was dating my wife at the time and, uh, I got to play house with her for like six months as I waited to go to dive school. It was awesome. I got paid to work out twice a day. Like I really felt like a professional athlete. You know, doing some cool things for the midshipmen and those things and enjoying Philadelphia. Uh, and then dive school started. I remember the second week I was there and uh, my friend Greg and I had graduated together. And I, I made $246 that week, the, that two-week pay period. And it was the least amount of money I ever made for the hardest work. Like, we were getting the fuck beat out of us on the, on the soft sand. And uh, we hadn't gotten a heavy hits yet in the bottom of the pool, which is where the Hail Marys came in. 
we would do this thing where you like swim on the bottom of the pool and just wait for your instructors to attack you for, I don't know, I think it was 30 seconds. And I, you know, you just, you just close down and just let it happen. And you're waiting to hear their watch beep at, at the 30 second or maybe they, maybe they could beat us for 45 seconds underwater and they were testing to see who, who would panic. And as long as you can make it through that and just get to your regulator and then unfuck whatever they did to you, tying knots, you know, in your hoses, throwing your gear everywhere. Like, I just got to get to the end of the 45 seconds. That's really interesting because, I mean, I think the only parallel I have for that is is surfing. And when you, mm -hmm. if you wipe out on a wave and it's a big one and, and you're, you've got the tumbling, you're, it's almost like you're in a washing machine. And if you are if you panic there or if you are struggling to get back to the surface or trying to fight nature, you know, you're going to lose and your heart rate's going to jack up. You're going to lose all your breath. And then you know, it's going to make that next, that pop up to try to grab a, a slice of air again, you know, before the next wave hits, it's going to make that a lot more precarious. Whereas mm -hmm. if you, once you hit, just roll, you know, yeah. I always, I always protect my head, cover my arms up, up over my head. But other than that, I mean, I almost enjoy wiping out cause it's just, it's a tumble and you yeah. just, you just go where the wave, it's mm -hmm. surrender. You go yeah. where the wave takes you. And then when it's done, you come up and, and you're, you're able to actually move forward. But it took me a while to figure that out because mm -hmm. I wanted to fight it. Well, yeah. it's, it's faith. Mm -hmm. It's believing it it's, it's, you know, in the, in that surrender, fully believing that you will be okay. That's interesting. You mentioned that. Uh, I really have come to know that faith is the cure for fear. So if we're fearful, it means we don't believe. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm a religious guy, um, and uh, I know that God's always got me, no matter what. You know, so like a house of cards, you got the card leading in, that's always God. And, you know, we have a question of, do we show up to support that? Like, like do we live up to his faith in us? When the fear is high, we don't. Yeah, it's interesting. I love that visual. Yeah. I want to figure out a way to get that in the show notes. Cool. But he's talking about the two cards at the very top that there's, you know, they have to be kind of equal. It's, it would essentially be a keystone in architecture. It's like the one place where the push on one side has to be equal to the push on the other side. So that's what he was doing with his hands when he was describing that. So yeah, so, uh, so dive school was 40 days. There were some uh, paddles that you would make with fancy work with, with uh, 550 cord and you, you make a nice design, the class would sign it. And on the back of it, a lot of these guys would have etched in the back of them 40 tick marks. You know, that, that, was, that was the kick, in, that was the kick in, in the balls, you know, to see if you were physically strong enough to, to be a Navy diver, to be a, a bomb technician. And I was in such great shape. I, I trained at uh, the first CrossFit gym in Philadelphia. Uh, Jason Brown and uh, you know I was living with Jessica most most days we got to play house it was it was a lovely it was a lovely preparation and I, and I was there and I was ready I was always in the front of the pack running and I never looked the part I was known as the fat ensign that doesn't have any residual effect on me today <laughs> thankfully <laughs> fucking kidding <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I never I power never, of language I, I never looked the part I never looked like the athlete that I was and I could run circles around these guys. Interesting. Yeah. Were you underestimated? Yeah. I love being underestimated. I didn't. I didn't then. Ah. Um, you know, there's a lot of posturing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's super type A alpha sharks. Mm. You know, looking for any kind of blood. And there were some great people in there too. I'm not trying yeah. to say that. I'm just I'm setting all this up for what would eventually happen. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right? 
so we graduated um, uh, dive school. That was a proud moment. Uh, and then, you know, we started EOD school. That was a year. That was a year of learning this craft, you know, built on the backs and the blood and the lives lost, hard-earned for these procedures. The, uh, the motto for EOD, Explosive Ordnance Disposal, um, initial success or total failure. That, that's the game we were playing. And you talk to Marines, you talk to SEALs, you talk to, you know, any MARSOC or Special Forces, and you tell them that you're an EOD guy, like, fuck yeah, man. Damn. That guy's cool. You know? Talk about a mantra. Yeah. Yeah, that was the, that was the, that was the community. It's, it's was like fucking... We just watched Free Solo, you know, with Alex Hanold and climbing El Cap and, you know, Yosemite and, and doing it without ropes. And that's the way that they put it, or the way that one of his friends put it is, is, you know, pick an Olympic sport and, you know, this is the gold medal match, the gold medal run or whatever it is, and you have to get a 10 out of 10, win the gold medal on the highest stage or else you die. Or you're dead. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. You have to do it perfectly. And I would Will imagine you... that's very similar. Yeah. Would you say it again and very slowly for people to really focus on the, the, the mantra of EODs? Initial success or total failure? Thank you. Yeah. So I love being around these folks. I mean, my enlisted guys, you know, the guys that I served with were fucking brilliant. And they were fit on the Navy Navy side, Army, Air Force, a little different. Uh, Air Force, yeah, little digs. <laughs> uh, Air Force, it's just different, you yeah, know. So back difference. in the '80s, the the leaders of the e- Navy EOD were like, "We need these guys to be able to embed with SF Special Forces and with SEALs. We need to teach our bomb technicians how to move, shoot, and communicate." Like they were 20 years ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. These guys aren't just operating out of trucks. Like we need them. You know, to to helo insert or to free fall insert into the mission. You need to be a part of the team. And, and, and the bomb technicians, there's two, uh, part of every SEAL platoon mm. embedded, and that's when Mobile Unit 12, where I, well, we, I was a plank owner, and we started we started that, and um, and it's not just for the bomb skills, but it's for the strategy. Like those are the men that I got to lead, you know, and I knew that's where where we were going. So so it was a year of schooling, different divisions. And so you heard my you heard my whole miraculous story, mm-hmm. and um, the first the first real division is ground. Uh, but before you get to ground, you got to get through the basic whatever intro where they go over like how to measure stuff and ordnance identification. How old are you at this point? Twenty two. Okay. I just graduated college. Mm-hmm. You know what I was doing at twenty two? What's that? I'll tell you the two things that mattered at twenty two years old. I can guess one of them. <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're actually wrong. You're wrong. Oh, really? <laughs> you're wrong. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> my Madden's record and my deadlift max. Those yeah, totally wrong. Those are matter. Right on. Totally wrong. So, yeah, totally different world. Huh. Yeah, so, um, so I was an engineer, right? So we, we had, like, measurements and those things. And then uh, ordinance identification. And so you had to identify, hey, what type of projectile was this? What type of grenade? What are the safeties that this particular one has that you have to observe? Heat shock, friction, you know, whatever. And I failed. It was like my third test in EOD school. I failed it. And the whole... Is this the first time ever in your life that you, quote, failed? Uh, Academically, yeah. Okay. Yep. 
Um, so all of EOD school was this way. So on Monday, you learn a new skill. You play with it, learn it, make some mistakes. Tuesday morning, you get tested on that skill. <laughs> no and fucking nice. turnaround, man. And you fail that. <laughs> Initial success or... Retest tomorrow. Yeah. That was that was the other mantra yeah. in EOD school. Retest tomorrow. Got it. <laughs> but that was a that was, was that underground with the students. It was like, well, fuck. I mean, it's either going to go well or it's not, yeah. right? And that's sort of really like that's the theme either, of what you're doing. We're either going to get this right or it's somebody else's problem. And yeah, it's no longer your. It's problem. no longer my problem. <laughs> and just it's just really knowing that like I'm going to do what I know to do. It might be good enough. It may not be. You know. And so th- those are the those are the cards. Mm. So uh, the next day, I retested and failed because I was worried. Mm. I wanted this so fucking bad. There was a lot riding in this. I had a lot of great people really believing in me, and I failed. I had five weeks to think about that shit. So I had an 88.5% grade point average with my two failures. Because of the way their algorithm works, it got rounded up to 89%. That was the minimal passing score in order to get rolled back into class if they had rolled that down i would have been a ship driver in the navy yeah anyway so i learned a lot about worry worry is not a performance enhancing drug mm-hmm. it can only make things worse mm-hmm. i had five weeks in underwater to i learned fancy work you know how to how to tie you know you ever see those like bells with the ropes on them I learned how to tie Turks heads and monkey fists and some old school salty navy My shit. My sister knows how to do monkey fists. Yeah. Yeah, she used to make Mad Bank at summer camp. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so there's this whole progression of a year like this. You know, it's, it's one of the hardest schools because it's not only is it mentally, you know, cerebrally it's difficult, top three that way, mm-hmm. it's also physical. You know, and, and as a navy class, you know, we were doing a lot of the, a lot of the physical things getting to the target in and of itself. Where are you based out of right now? Uh, this is, um, so dive school is Panama City, and then EOD school is um, Niceville, Eglin Air Force Base. Mm-hmm. Niceville, north of Destin, Florida, in the Panhandle, mm-hmm. lower Alabama. Yeah. Yeah, it was a year. year of that. And then uh, we graduated, um, found out that we didn't really have orders, so we got like the sweetest deal of any Navy class. We got to go to Otide Lakes, California, for jump school. That's right next to the Olympic Training Center. It looks a lot like Skydive San Diego, because it was. It was just the military side. And we did a three-day gentleman's course learning how to uh, static line jump out of aircraft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so day one, you're learning how to do the parachute landing. You know, feet, knees, feet, knees, back, twist. Um, that's not the mantra. I, for you guys that know PLFing, that's not it. You want you want to avoid like face, ass, Balboa. Balboa is a medical hospital. <laughs> yeah, um, and then we you know we did three day, three weeks worth of tactical training, and uh, from there, checked into uh, EOD Mobile Unit Twelve, which were a set of trailers. We were a brand new mobile unit and plank owner there, and really our mission became. Uh, supporting NSW, Navy, Navy Special Warfare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now it's what, like 2008? It is, okay. yeah. So how long were you in EOD? So yeah, I spent five and a half years in the community. Um, yeah, it was a year of training and then you know four years of uh, you know being assigned, deploying, uh, and those things. And what, as fate would have it, I never really believed that I belonged. 
uh, the imposter syndrome for me was huge. And did that come about starting in the beginning? Like, you know, was that like, hey, I failed this test, and then that had the cascading effect of, hey, I don't belong here because of that? Or did that happen well before, you know, during selection process or a lot of anything it, like that? A lot of it had to do with I didn't look the part, and mm -hmm. I, like, started to believe that. Maybe I don't have what it takes. Maybe I'm not like the real deal. You know, a five-minute thought virus is mm -hmm. all that was, right? Let me think that. Let me write it in my journal and clear that shit. Like, it's not... Who cares if it's true? It's not useful, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't matter. This is the job I got to go do. And I need to be in the best possible headspace to do it. Like, and I, I didn't know that yet. Um, I had uh, one of my, my sea daddy, right, my mentor and all this, uh, Hot Rod, Dev grew operator. Um, you know, he really believed in me. And there's a constant theme of me not believing in myself and other people believing in me. It's taken me a very, very long time. Got you, bro. To, uh, to <laughs> right get that. It, 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 it's, it's actually taken a divorce uh, for me to learn that. Yeah. And Jessica, if you're listening, uh, you're one of my greatest teachers. Uh, you taught me that. And I will forever be grateful. But I didn't have that then. Right. And... Um, I played my hand that way mm -hmm. as I wasn't good enough. I didn't deserve the spot that I took from somebody else who really earned it, who would have done a better job than me. And, 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 this, part, this and part of it was, you know, um, looking around on our Friday meetings, or whenever, whenever we met, I forget what day that was, a fucking table full of snake eater, tip of the spear type dudes. Some of the hardest men. And like, I'm clearly not one of them. But you're discounting every single O'Dark 30 session, every single 100-mile bike ride, every single 21 years old, not hungover on a Saturday. I'm instead fucking jumping in the shit or jump, jumping in the water. And, I mean, you, you put in that work. And also... I remember one of my, my, one of my best birthdays. Uh, I, uh, it, we, we cleaned rifles and just got ready for a night op uh, for the picket. And I remember putting my night vision goggles on, getting in formation, and uh, we did some air ops, uh, we did some practice patrolling, and I'm like, this is my fucking dream. And I'm getting to do this on my birthday. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I knew what these guys looked like in the dark, like, these are my guys. Yeah. I'm sorry, I cut you off, Carrie. No, you're fine. I was just going to say that for people listening who might be, you know, you might be resonating with them in whatever environment they're in, if they look around and feel like they're the odd man or woman out um something to keep in mind is that like you could have because you were different you could have had that 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 one thing that you were going to need in a situation to save lives you know maybe you would have the empathy or maybe you would be able to take a moment and not just make a decision and you know, when you needed to take all the factors into account, when those, mm -hmm. you know, strong snake tip of the spear guys were going to be like, no, like, boom, you know, like, you just never know, you know, you can't discount, like, maybe you were different because you had the one thing that no one else had mm -hmm. that was needed. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have been able to see that then. Yeah. And so if you're going through that right now, know that you're exactly where you need to be, exactly as the person as you are right this second. It doesn't matter how you got there. Uh, it just matters, hey, what what is God or the universe teaching me right now? Like, how does this serve me? And what do I need? What do you need me to do? That's all that matters. It takes out all the shame and guilt of how you arrived at that particular, hey, I should have been better, I should have been stronger, I should have been thinner, I should have been more fit, I should have been more trained. 
right? And, you know, that, that was all part of the terrible inner monologue. I was actively creating turbulence to make my life harder by worrying. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that wasn't, I mean, the way that it manifested, we deployed to Iraq. Um, I got a really uh, remote um, assignment with my, with my team. And, man, I was so, uh, I, I thought I was a superhero. Um, my commander asked me, hey, to do this mission. Who hey, asked, sir, we got it. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, you know. My chief, his dad was dying of cancer. I sent him home. Like, Aaron, I can't have you. I, I can't have it on my conscience yeah. if, you know, you, you, you know, roll a seven. And were you thinking about your dad? That's on me. Like, I didn't set up a safe scenario for you to thrive. Like, I, I can't handle that. Yeah, no. And I'm not going to ask you to be here uh, and not with your dad. I, you know, I was kind of alone and unafraid, and I couldn't do any right. And I would learn later that my particular commander, um, what he would do, uh, he would pick somebody and uh, have them be the target of ridicule and you're not good enough to take the pressure off of himself. Mm-hmm. And it would take me a long time to forgive that. Eventually, I would learn to do that in a float tank. I had a conversation with him. And um, it wasn't just the hell that I went through. Because after that, after five weeks of that, I was recalled to headquarters uh, at Camp Spiker. Uh, and I became the night watch captain. I was so ashamed of myself. I failed in the most epic way. Um, yeah, they put somebody else out there, ran my guys. And um, I don't know if I self-segregated or... You know, as, as, as if I had leprosy. You know, no one wanted to be around me. I took great delight into destroying people in CrossFit workouts. Um, I set up, uh, we, I, I was able to get funding for medical rehab equipment to buy a whole bunch of bumper plates and kettlebells. We had the dopest CrossFit gym in Iraq. That's yeah. sweet. Uh, Jason Fernandez, who is uh, the owner of CrossFit Rife, you know, was a head trainer along with Nick Maddox. They worked with uh, CBs. And it's amazing what you can do with plywood. Just an incredible training facility. Every day at 4.30, our command would break in CrossFit. And everybody would come together and throw down. And it was my favorite part of the day. Because I just got to unleash all this rage that I had in myself. That In that time, I didn't know it was rage. Um, but yeah, it felt really good. And I had my guitar. I had Zoom to talk to, or Skype actually, to talk to my family, my wife, and church. You know, going to church in Iraq where they're like, yeah, 300 miles west of us is, you know, where this story in the Bible is taking place. It's surreal. It's crazy. And I had, I had a young sailor, Thor. He's not here anymore either. He was killed in a motorcycle accident. I got to mentor him. And it was like the first real coaching that I had ever done. And it was amazing watching his transformation. And I needed that. I needed to lead something. And if you, if you took away any one of those things that I just mentioned, probably wouldn't be on your podcast. I, I don't think I would be here. It was never suicidal, uh, but I could see how that would be a very attractive option mm-hmm. in that. And I started training for marathons. That's when I really honed barefoot running. Um, and I would go on for three-mile runs in the fucking desert. And um, I'd go wherever my imagination would take me. And, yeah, like I said, if, I, if any one of those things were missing, my life would be very different. So I'd come back. I'd get another platoon. Um, we were gearing up to support the Rangers, the Army Rangers in Afghanistan. And half the command thought I deserved a second chance. Half the command thought I didn't. And um, I was so shell-shocked and, like, 
I kept hitting each of the waypoints that was put out in front of me. Like, you know, I remember studying for my demolition, my demolition burn operations supervisors practical and test. Uh, from our practical, um, I was running the range when we blew up a fucking car. I have a video of that somewhere. It was dope. Um, taking my test, and at the end of the test, my commander, the, the, the guy that had, had made my, my life harder, was like, man, if only you uh, put this much energy into everything. I'm like, oh, shit. Like, my, how I'm being perceived, got it. This is unwinnable. And, uh, you know, a couple weeks before we were leaving, we were in team training, and I remember this overwhelming sense of relief was feeling such physical anxiety. I knew the end was near. And uh, I got the call to uh, spend time with Commander Merwin, Chris, Chris Merwin. Um, he probably saved my life. I was starting to get nightmares of the metal box. And I was so twisted that I was using that as motivation to train harder. Um, you mean the submarine? No, I mean the final metal box with got it. the flag draped over it. Got it. That box. Cool. And... Um, he called me in his office. I knew what this was about. Brian, I've lost a lot of sleep over this. You are not the man to take your team to Afghanistan. He was right. The way I was that day, I was not the man to do that. I would have gotten eaten alive by the Rangers. Because I knew how to, how to defend my guys, I, I would die for those men. I didn't know how to defend myself. I never needed to learn how to defend myself. And I, I had somebody that was actively coming after me to prove to the world that I didn't belong to take the pressure off himself. And yes, I needed more training. And yes, I made a lot of mistakes. And we all did. And I would learn later that our whole crew of junior officers, we had never gotten true officer training. Um, my therapist and life coach, uh, I remember one day I took ownership for something like, no, that's bullshit. Like, you didn't know how to do that. Yes, you're supposed to make mistakes. And by the way, there are so many junior officers that are going through what you're going through and made to feel like you are the mistake. The system's broken. So we were sending people into combat that really weren't trained. Mm -hmm. The cream of the crop, you know. And um, it would take me a long time to really know that she was right because <sighs> guilt is knowing you made a mistake shame is thinking you are the mistake mm. and I remember one day she asked me hey, do you believe that God loves you unconditionally yeah I believe that Brian do you love you unconditionally and I didn't I think that's it, hard for a lot of people yeah I'm getting triggered really hard Yeah, that's fine. being back in her office with no windows saying that out loud and, and honestly, from this whole story, the whole serendipity of being selected, this perfect storm of an end. Like, I remember watching uh, Concussion with Will Smith, and there's a scene in there where Dr. Bennett Amalu, um, the movie's been out a long time. His unborn child was killed uh, by some things the NFL did. And uh, he, his wife reminds him that his name means truth, and she asked him, hey, what are the chances that somebody from overseas who was not only a neurologist but also a pathologist would come across the Pittsburgh Steeler with, you know, the, uh, the extreme concussion uh, disease? And really it was zero. And I was watching that on my first trip to Costa Rica, and there's tears streaming down my face. What are the chances that somebody's strong enough to make it through dive school 
smart enough to be a bomb technician with the compassion to turn this around and turn the suffering into just pain. You know what's fucking rad to me, man, is, you know, what you had said earlier of, you know, everything is exactly as it should be. You would not be in this position to be able to change so many lives and to put out a book here in a couple weeks to go through this journey and to coach me, to coach Carrie, to coach all these individuals that you've been a part of. And you would not be in that position if you hadn't have taken this path and if things had not unfolded exactly as they should have. And if you're not exactly where you need to be. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I know for a fact, I mean, with me, that's difficult. You know, it's difficult for me to understand with my past. And, you know, I mean, we've talked on this podcast about things that Carrie's gone through with, you know, opening studios and, and, you know, having different, different things happen that was not part of the plan. But we're here now doing what we're doing, affecting people positively because of the way that things happened. And so, yeah. And there's tears streaming down my face as we were recording this. And in that moment, I felt so loved. I felt held. Uh, the suffering just became pain. Mm-hmm. And it became the teacher. And it was in that moment that I knew that my medical sales career was over. And I would I would begin working towards freedom to, to doing my life's work. Uh, a year after that, um, I won a trip for my sales performance and salesman of the year uh, where I'd write my TED talk and really formalize the last couple months of me as a, uh, as a medical sales guy to do Fear Sherpa full time. But it, it just took the unfolding and it, this, this took every bit of six years for that to come into focus. And now, six years later, a lot of the work that you've put in and I mean like the quote reps that you've done like does it give you confidence that you are not only more than enough but wildly capable to embark on the journey that you're headed on so currently going through a divorce so this is avalanche number two the technology works in the moment i know what i need and i trust it the month of january february i did a shit ton of yoga and breath work and really turned the work down to do the inner work and so we talked about skydiving, we talked about diving, we mentioned surfing, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm so thankful that I've had experience in the outer adventure for preparation for the inner, the inner work, the inner adventure. And I think without the physical, I would not be prepared for this. I would not be able to use this too as a teacher. You know, the gratitude for Jess as uh, one of my most powerful teachers. And... Um, yeah, so I, I, I had that knowing. And I, I work with a couple married couples. My marriage failed. And um, I have every confidence knowing that, like, if that continues, here's how it ends. You know, and knowing that this works. My uncle gave me an, a beautiful analogy. The first avalanche, my PTSD, tra- an actual, tra- like, in-the-moment trauma, you know, feeling, you know, ashamed and what the fuck does my life look like now? Like, that was my dream. That wasn't just like, hey, what do you do for a living? I'm a bomb technician in the United States Navy. Like, I was so, that was my identity. The reason I got out of bed and then I was gone. Like, that was avalanche number one. What the fuck do I do now? Mm -hmm. So I became a contractor teaching army captains and lieutenants how to be better EOD officers because I wasn't, or I thought I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And it would take years. I met with uh, 
this is interesting, with Synapse, our networking group, uh, eight years to the day that we came back from Iraq, I met with April Stilwell, who was, um, I didn't, I didn't remember her name, but I remembered her, um, eight years to the day she was at a networking group and, uh, we connected, she was the ombudsman, so she, um, you know, worked with the wives of, you know, our, our guys, um, disseminating information, I think that's a really important job, especially during deployment. Yeah. I connected with Brian, her husband, who was a master tech, uh, master chief, two star, the, the two stars, you know, the, the most senior enlisted guys, and we would get together and uh, we had brunch, and I remember him looking. He's like, "What the fuck happened to you?" Like, well, and I was like all prepared to like go back, and then he's like, "No, that that's not what I'm talking about. It was the enlisted men loved you, and we couldn't figure out why they needed to get you out of the community so fast. We didn't get it." I was like, man, that was eight years to get to that point. And like, huh, maybe I was a better officer than I thought. Damn. Yeah. yeah. How's your relationship with that now? That idea, that concept? Uh, I mean, it's it's all part of the unfolding. I needed to go through that in order to show up for, for you. And you, Carrie. And, you know, every time I have a conversation with somebody about fear or shame or addiction, my addiction was my shame story. Um, every single time I can help somebody put that into a different focus. Mm -hmm. God, I get it. I get why you asked me to do this. It makes sense. And, you know, that's the shifting suffering and it just reps in the gym. Yeah. You know, another lap around the track at full tilt. God, I would love to do that work instead of the... <laughs> instead of the... the <laughs> but, but this is important. So if you're going through that stuff, know that you're... The fact that you're still alive and still getting up time and time again you are choosing and there's such freedom in that so let's talk about fear sherpa I okay mean, it feels like it's just kind of transitioned naturally into that and um you know what would you like people to know about the work that you do and how you do it and how you coach the first thing i want people to know is we all have a relationship with fear and the original intention with fear sherpa was my guys sf you know special forces they have a trained response to fear. In the moment, we know what to do. We've trained for the caustic cocktail when the adrenaline and the cortisol hit. I know what I'm going to do. And in movies, if you ever watch, you know, like the slide release on a gun, you know, you can do that with your thumb, but the cool guy move is to slap it with your hand. It looks cool, but it's functional. There's so much adrenaline you could miss with your thumb, and, like, seconds matter, right? Like, that's the level... You don't rise to your the best time that you've ever did that when you're in a firefight. You you lower to your lowest common denominator, the, the baseline reptilian skills, right? Um, so my whole plan was to train the untrained in a fear response in the moment, right? What I would learn later is that there's a whole long-term fear, stress, worry, shame, guilt, addiction relationship that... I didn't know anybody at that time that was teaching that. And as I was going through my avalanche, um, Talia had me read, that was my life coach, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And there's two major things that I gained from that, that, that story. His surviving a holocaust. Hell on earth. First, there's um, a space between stimulus and response. And it's in this space that we have our only freedom, and that's our freedom to choose and so I chose to write a guidebook 
for other people going through avalanche. Like that's how I found meaning. Suffering is never in vain if you can find meaning. And so I became a detached observer of my road from being buried alive in what felt like life's avalanche back to the light. And there's a path, there's a path to it. And it takes earning dominion of the monkey mind that we have. And really what that means is ego, right? Our ego that keeps us separate. Um, the thing that keeps us small, safe, and comfortable. And if we give into that always, we're going to have a small, comfortable, meaningless life. Is that, what are some ways that, that you can practically teach this? What are some things that you can, what's your favorite ways for people to, to learn fear? You already have, you're already, you know it, right? But to know that you can make a different choice, right? So, you know, the fear shows up in its minions, you know, worry, doubt, shame, guilt, all those work for fear. So you've got that on the one side of the house and you've got love on the other side. You know, the love is the expansive, connected, I'm enough, I'm more than enough. You know, I have everything that I need, right? And, and fear is a very potent fuel. Love is infinite. So that's really what I'm doing, what, we're, what the mission is. Get to know fear, walk through that door, and get to abundance. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really our true, that's the truth. The plane. Yeah, it's the plane. Yeah, exactly. My favorite way to do this is with ice baths. Yeah. Can you describe what happens to me every time I get into an ice bath? I will <laughs> <laughs> uh, describe what goes on for all of us yeah. as we go through the ice bath. Because whether, whether or not I can physically see it on your face in the resistance, <laughs> or you're sitting around the ice bath making you know small dick jokes, <laughs> like we all have our default way of showing up to stress. Mm-hmm. You know, some some of us. I'm just be- picturing me in the ice bath. Uh, some of us become very stoic. Um, some of us make excuses, wishing for more time, uh, jokes. You know, I think you learn a lot about somebody uh, as they're confronting. In some ways, it feels like death, right? I mean, that's really what the reptilian mind is kind of gearing up for. I mean, it's it's you're right because the reptilian mind. I mean, this is going to kill it's me. A, it's going to kill you. Because yeah. if I stay in here long enough, this this is... And you're right. It will. Exposure is the number one killer. You know, if you're stuck out in the wild, you, you know, it's not like you need to worry about water first, right? You need shelter first and foremost. You need to get the fuck out of the rain and the cold mm-hmm. and make sure that, that, you know, you can make it through the night to get to the water. Right? Yes. That's, you know, number one. And so when you get in the water, there's a response that happens in your body flood of hormones and a flood of you know emotions I mean there's a flood of things that that occur and you know I've probably done you know a hundred ice baths and every single time like I'm, I'm feeling it now as I'm talking about it, like every single time my heart rate goes up and I know that as soon as I get in and I just get control of my breath after a couple of seconds I'll be totally fine it's all good it's not gonna kill me but it's that anticipation it is Yes. Fucking wrecks me. (laughs) And you're not alone in that. I know. I've done hundreds of ice baths. Yeah. Same. Same. It's still, it's, it's finding the daily skydive. Mm -hmm. And that daily skydive could be getting under a weight that you're unsure of that you're going to get back up again, you know, in a, in a back squat. Uh, you know, you're going to do a 10 K time trial, you know, can I really go there? You know, and, and what do you, what do you do to stay in, um, you know, in, in flow? 
right? And I, and I find that with the ice bath, it just, it trains it so viscerally, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got the addressing the challenge. What are we going to do? Well, we don't just jump into the ice bath. First, we create intimacy where I'm looking into your eyes mm -hmm. and I'm sending kindness to you. You know, and we share five breaths together so we really can sync up and communicate non-verbally. We're going to do a whole bunch of breath work. We're going to already get the hormones right, and we're going to pack a bunch of oxygen into the body as a prep for what you're going to need when you are using this hermetic stressor. Mm -hmm. Think of it like a vaccine. You know, there's a viral load to that. And the ice is the same. It's a taste, right? It's a taste of discomfort. Because if you spend two hours in the ice bath, if you're not Wim Hof, right, if you don't know what you're doing, it'll kill you. Mm -hmm. And I remember Wim on the Ben Greenfield pot, and I love this, man. I, and I've been blessed to spend uh, four days with Wim, actually. And he's the first man I've truly met that's fearless. He is so fixated on alleviating human suffering. And it takes some discomfort in order to learn how to do this. And so um, Greenfield asked him, how do you overcome the cold? And he goes, I don't. That would kill you. I become the cold. And I think that about fear. I don't want to overcome fear. It's valuable. How hard is it? That visceral reaction you have for the cold, I need to have a fucking plan before I go do something potentially dangerous. Mm -hmm. What can I do to mitigate risk? But the key move is that after five or seven minutes, put it away. What Fear, thank you. You know, you taught me these things. I'm going to mitigate these risks in this way. And then I'm going to put it away. And I'm going to spend the rest of my time envisioning the most perfect skydive that I possibly can. Mm -hmm. Or the joy that's on the other side of coming through, you know, that leap of faith in the ice bath. Right. Because there is a very powerful um, dopamine, serotonin, testosterone... Uh, release on the other side of the ice when you find calm again. Mm -hmm. Not to mention exhilaration. So you just did something that your body thought was going to kill it. And then a minute into it, when you get the breath right, that calming breath, a nice long exhale, the which by the way transcends pain. We find calm. The calmer we are, the less pain we feel. Mm -hmm. So pain and fear travel the same channels in the body. So we turn down fear, we turn down pain, we turn down pain, we turn down fear. They're, they work in conjunction with those things. And then you smile. And then you smile and you give gratitude. Mm -hmm. So if the, the brain has only two positions when it comes to fear and gratitude, fully in gratitude or fully in fear. God, thank you for this opportunity to practice. Thank you for helping me find the superpower that I forgot that I had. Thank you for the ability to communicate with Dave or Carrie and send them kindness and love while they're going through something challenging. And then when you, when you learn that you're going to survive, there's this exhilaration that can only be earned. You can't buy that. And that gratitude is something that, that everybody can, can hold on to, especially when going through tough times. Because as you said, they can't, they can't live in the same place. Nope. Fear and gratitude cannot live in one, in one space. And so if you're going through a workout that sucks and you don't know if you can keep going, if you're going through a you know, um, uh, your own personal avalanche, whatever that is. Injury. Injury. Mm. You know, if you're grateful for what you can do and grateful for your circumstance and grateful for what this avalanche is teaching you, in that moment, you will not be fearful. So you guys, we have a background in exercise. Mm -hmm. You know, pushing the limits, right? What's one of the hardest workouts that you can think of, Dave? 
thing that just popped in my head was Fran. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, when you're in Fran, you feel sorry for yourself. You try not to, man. <laughs> Before it starts, maybe. Yeah. Holy fuck! I'm really gonna go do this. Yeah. It's no different than, you know, coming coming back from you know a relationship setback or a back injury, right? Right. right. Or my separated shoulder, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's the woe is me, the pities, wallowing, whatever. And then three, two, one, go, you throw down, and your body just knows what to do. Yeah, it just does it. Right? And so the pain that you're going through in the workout, I'm glad for it. It's an amazing training stimulus. Mm-hmm. And so the analogy that I'm making is you go through emotional pain, it's the same thing. It just feels different. But it's the expansion, right? That's what growth. So if we could change the language from I'm going through a hard time, going through a workout. Does that change anything for you guys? It does for me. This is how the lesson is being taught is through the resistance, the discomfort, whatever that is. So I've got a question for you, and this is sort of, it's not switching gears, but it's, it's moving, you know, it, it's something that you've mentioned a couple of times that I'm just curious about. You know, you accepted death as a possibility mm-hmm. and you continued to move forward anyway. And you've told me before that, you know, during breath work exercises or in the float tank or, you know, holotropic breathing, I mean, you've gotten to that point where you're, you know, you've passed the door of, of death. You know, you've, you've said a couple of times, like it's, you know, I got in there and it felt like I was, I died and I came out and threw it. What does it do for you to accept that one day you will die? And how does that change your relationship with life itself? There's a letter to the Silius um, that Seneca wrote, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, number 11 on death and dying. Um, And it has to do with, I'm teaching people and myself, I haven't cured fear, I wrestle with it like everybody else. Um, Except that every time that I wrestle with it and I fail, I'm learning something. How, How do I make this better the next time? So as I think about dying... It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave this world. And so, you know, uh, he talks about Cato. Uh, you know, his his last thing was um, his death was, was the crowning jewel to his life, right? And so if we can learn freedom from the fear of death, we've actually learned how to live. Truly living is on the other side of renouncing our fear of death. Because mm-hmm. now we're fully able to live the life we were intended to and it could be the purpose of my life David is to lay my life down for you mm-hmm. or you know when I when I think about my relationship with my wife like working through all the scenarios where I would lay my life down to protect hers to uh, have no greater love right to lay down your life for a friend for a friend yeah so that doesn't just mean dying right like mm-hmm. taking a bullet for somebody that also means living life so intensely to not I'd rather be uh, ashes than dust right mm-hmm. you know to, to really fully live life and at the end of it to die empty mm-hmm. on you on on you know squirting oil you know sliding <laughs> sideways yelling out cowabunga right yeah. Um, yeah so think about that right there's a book called uh, die empty mm-hmm you know, the question is, where's the most valuable piece of land? 
You know, some say it's an oil field, a diamond mine, it's a cemetery. It's a graveyard. Because all the best relationships, all the best movies, all the best books, conversations, trips, businesses, they're in that ground. They were never actualized. And the whole point is that as we're small, safe, and comfortable, we're going to die with that stuff inside of us. Where when we're uncomfortable, living outrageously, yes, fear, I know you're here. Thank you for the gift. We're going to move on. Like, I've, I've addressed your concerns, mm -hmm. right? Your job is terror. You know, the gun's out. Uh, I could die, mm -hmm. right? I need to turn that off to know that that's just worry, right? And so that way, when terror really comes up, I can fully appreciate that. And like, yeah, I, I hear you. And the, the voice is still there in Black Sails. Um, the main character, um, Captain Flint, talks about as a commander of a ship, there's always two voices. And the voice, and his question is, which voice do you listen to? So doing some work with women and, and, and those of us really pursuing the uh, divine feminine intuition. You know, how do you trust your gut? You know, because you've got the ego that's so cunning and disguising itself actually as your thoughts, right? Or, you know, for me, it's the Holy Spirit. You know, the, the, the divine, the expansive voice. And the difference is listening to the voice that makes us bigger mm. and more connected and more love. Like, that's the answer. When the voice is telling us to do stuff that makes, that mutes our light, makes us smaller, that's ego. Mm. To, and learning which voice to listen to and then trusting it right and your truth dave is different than mine right right and if i tell you hey you shouldn't do this you're like yeah but everything's telling me that like i need to go in this direction like i can say no right i can be courageous enough to run my own path yeah it might it may end my life but that could be the greatest expression of of my life is is you know to exchange my life for whatever that thing is for your truth and to think about that shit before you need it. Right. right. You, you know, so it. when the airplane is on fire about to crash in the earth, not a great time to write your emergency <laughs> procedure. Yeah. You know, that's when the reptilian brain's calling all the shots. Right. So we so the reason I answered about the Wim Hof thing, you know, it teaches you that in panic you need to find the breath. Mm -hmm. And so as I find the breath, I go from the reptilian mind. Um, where, you know, it's like sea snake, run from snake. Okay, well, that's a garden hose. Very similar to, like, when someone's offering me help and I'm stressed like crazy, like, why, you don't think I'm good enough? Mm -hmm. No, take the help. You know, and so a breath could do that, or ten breaths could do that, or, you know, going and playing with your friends barefoot in the river, like, you know, on Sunday, so you're relaxed for the week. Like, that's... There's a there's a model that I have, and I, I don't know if you guys have a way to share this, but there's like Definitely. the in-the-moment explosion, right? Like, hey, we need to talk. Oh, fuck. Right? Like that feeling. That's the in-the-moment stuff. You know, finding the breath, a kind question. What would this look like if it was easy? How would I handle this if I loved myself? Like all of those kind questions. So there's the in-the-moment stuff. Then there's the pre-explosion stuff. Did I go floating? Have I been eating well? Am I hungry, angry, lonely, tired, right? Those are triggers for all of us, mm -hmm. right? And did I do the self-care? And so, you know, learning how to love myself. That sounds weird to say out loud, but that really is a focus of mine, and I'm doing a much better job. Um, how do I not just say I love me, but how do I show it, mm -hmm. right? How do you prove it? How do I prove it? Yeah. 
And, you know, so there's that adage, right? Believing is seeing. Mm -hmm. Biggest lie that there is, right? Um, sorry. Seeing is believing is the biggest lie. Strike that, reverse it. Mm -hmm. So seeing is believing is the biggest lie because even if you see it and you don't believe it, it's like, oh, that was a fluke, mm -hmm. right? Believing and seeing is, is true, right? There's truth to that. So if I believe it, I will then see it and manifest it in those things. But the truest expression of that, I think, is believing is doing. Did I do the self-care? Did I take care of my billion-dollar spacesuit that I'm that I'm in? Right. Billion-dollar meat suit. That's right. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about the. And then and then there's a post explosion too. Yep. So I did the pre, you know, I did the pre work, experienced the explosion. Here's the outcome. Mm -hmm. It's just an experiment, right? And you know, we keep talking about hardship, right? These are just experiments. These are opportunities, right? So even changing that little word choice takes the pressure off of it. Like, all right, so this happened. I went into a two-day tailspin where I didn't get out of bed. What caused that? Man, I've been holed up in my uh, apartment just getting after it solopreneur style. Like, I need some more social interaction. Let me go back to the beginning and add that to the pre-explosion work. So that's dope. So data on previous engagement is a sniping term. Snipers use this as a way to, in, in these conditions, uh, this temperature at this, you know, all the, all the parts and pieces of an expert shot. It's so interesting. It's neat when you hit the shot, even more interesting when you miss. What'd you learn? And so in the mistakes is also the teacher. So how do you go back to the front of the loop and then program? So at least if that happens again, I'm not going to make that same mistake again. Right. Yeah. I find calmness too in when the explosion occurs, having done the exercise prior to it happening, just having knowledge that that would have been or could be a potential outcome when it happens mm -hmm. helps you remain more calm. Exactly. So that's, that's the role that fear plays. So when people tell you, hey, just overcome fear, what a waste. Waste of a lot of valuable energy because without fear, there's no flow. Right? We need to have that excitement, adrenaline to pop over into the timelessness flow state. Mm -hmm. uh, it also gives us valuable data on where are the, where are the risks. And let me listen to that. Yeah. It's and part so, of fear setting. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Or in my case, the fear flip. Fear flip. Right. Yeah. And so there's another part to the post-explosion. So that's for one event. So then you do 50 events and you're like, okay, here's the thing that always triggers me. This is going to happen again. Here's my emergency procedure for ad addressing crucial conversations. Mm -hmm. um, asking, you know, for what I want, right? I get triggered when I ask for what I need and or when someone asks me, hey, how are you feeling? I'm feeling jealous, right? Like, I don't wear that emotion very well. How am I going to show up authentically in that, mm -hmm. you know? And so you've got the emergency procedure now and you can dial that in for the common occurrences of whatever triggers you. So if it's a shame event, if it's an addiction, if it's a fear, you know, really have a plan and start to dial that in so that more consistently you hit your target. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Talk about the rewilding and undomestication of Brian Mooka. Yeah, happy to. Um, sometime between now and paleo effects, I'm going to need to get a loincloth, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I made that as a joke in, in your uh, last workout. I did, I did the, uh, the Hump Day Hills barefoot uh, just to see if I could do it. Yeah, uh, yeah so uh, we have a friend, Paris Robinson. He was on this show, right? Will be. He, he will, will be. be. Yeah. Got it. He's on the list. 
Thank God. 100%. He has an amazing yeah. story. Yeah, the story is incredible. I'm not sure when this is dropping. Um, so, yeah, so um, we hung out, and every time he and I hang out, um, I thought that I would be the one helping him. He's a uh, heron, as he says it, heroin uh, survivor. Been in prison a bunch of times, been shot in the chest four times, and uh, he had to teach himself how to eat. Have you ever given thanks for being able to feed yourself? I didn't until I met Paris. Mm-hmm. How about uh, the ability to go for a walk? I didn't, right? So I told him, hey, I went for this barefoot walk around Bell Island. I've been walking uh, barefoot as a surrender exercise. So the more I can relax my feet, the less it hurts. If I just surrender into it, that's the exercise that I'm doing, using the breath to mitigate pain. And so I set up my hammock. I did 40 pages worth of track changes on my book, which was extremely painful. Uh, but I was in my hammock, so it was okay, right? <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes, I would literally do anything to be able to walk barefoot. Mm. I was like, fuck. Yeah, he's in a wheelchair now and has been wheelchair bound for over 20 years. Yes. So so now every day I go for a barefoot walk because I can. Yeah. And because I appreciate Paris and it's sort of sort of my way of reconnecting to all of the blessings that I have. Right, so that's where it's, the barefoot's is kind of where it started. Mm-hmm. The barefoot also started at um, my master certification to become a, uh, a Wim Hof instructor. We did a lot of our hikes barefoot, and so that was adding in the cold. So, you know, um, the Indians, for example, Native Americans, for example, get into the water every day, and that includes here in Virginia and you know other more northerly climates, mm-hmm. um, to include the wintertime. Mm-hmm. And so getting in cold has been part of that. So that's also part of the rewilding. Um, and so the, the, let, me, let me share the why. So listening to Dave Asprey's uh, podcast, uh, one of his guests, I don't remember his name, I apologize, Homo sapien domesticus fragilis, the domesticated fragile human. Guys, that's where we're headed. Mm-hmm. Walk down the street in the wintertime when it's 45 degrees on, there is no need for a 600 fill puffy jacket. Like that's for Everest. That's for the Arctic and Antarctica, right? You know, you're wearing a sleeping bag to walk down the street. Like I'm in shorts and flip-flops in February and it feels great at 45. And so really understanding that the more discomfort we have, um, our normal becomes wider. And so a friend of mine, uh, she told me that her ideal temperature is between 70 and 72 Okay, well, what's yours? Uh, 45 to 85. So there's 45, there's 40 degrees worth of perfect temperature now. You know, and so I think that's interesting. Um, and we're actually, we're de-evolving because mm-hmm. we don't have the hermetic stressors that we used to have. I listened to uh, the founder of uh, Dry Farms Wines. He refuses to use grapes that are irrigated. Mm. And the reason... The reason is, irrigated grapes have a two foot wide by two foot deep root structure. They're lazy. They don't have to go deep into the soil. You know, they don't go down to 60 feet like unirrigated uh, vines do to get the minerals and the adaptogens. They have to get those because there's not another way. And so being uncomfortable and not, you know, having the water fountain built into itself forces it to be hardier so they're evolving and so we can do the same thing 
right? And so this all ties into the fear thing, mm -hmm. you know, and, and playing in the physical outer adventure stuff. You know, either we did the prep work for the inner or we didn't. And the same thing with the physical. Like, I did my prep work. I know what the adrenaline shot feels like because I've trained in the ice. There's been multiple car accidents that I've avoided because in the moment, I know what adrenaline feels like. Mm -hmm. And the world slows down for me like it always has. Mm -hmm. And instead of getting tunnel vision, I see more because mm -hmm. I know it. I got, I got to know it. And in the moment when it matters most, I did the work. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be tested. And either you did the work or you didn't. And uh, you'll never be in a situation where you're like, man, wish I didn't train so much. <laughs> Not ever. <laughs> no, yeah. Not that's ever. A, that's a great. So, you know, another shape. addition to this has been uh, the multi-day fasting. Mm -hmm. You know, God, I got to eat every six hours or three hours. I got to eat six meals a day. You don't. <laughs> you don't. In fact, there are seasons of all of this. Like, you know, about the Easter. You know, Easter is, is a is a feasting time. Mm -hmm. You know, whether you're Christian, whether you're pagan, we stole all the, all the holidays basically from pagans, right? And so, you know, winter's coming to an end, mm -hmm. and um, you know, uh, there is a, a period of fasting built into that. Yeah. And so, finding that joy after 48 hours of fasting, Dave, you just did a multi-day fast. Mm -hmm. We did that together. Yep. Um, you know, there's a joy in it. And I notice also that in doing long endurance workouts while fasted, VO2 max is increased. I can get more done with less oxygen. Yep. Uh, growth hormone is increased. And once again, it's one of those things that like, you know, in the ice bath, you got the resistance. Holy shit, I need to eat. Okay. Where do you feel the hunger? I feel it in my stomach. You're not hungry yet. Mouth hunger is the hunger. Mm -hmm. The salivating, getting your body prepped for food is hunger. Noticing that your nose is more sensitive to smells is hunger. And then, uh, you know, full lions don't go hunting. You know, if you're, if you're, uh, it's not starving. Starving isn't a choice. Right. Fasting's a choice. And you can end, end the fast whenever you want, you know. And, uh, you know, I did a four-day fast. I wanted it to go longer. And it turned out uh, we did a river adventure. And uh, CJ, if you're listening, thank you for that. Uh, it was a great afternoon. I learned a lot. Mm -hmm. And so even while fasted, I had th a three-hour uh, ordeal. And, um, you know, the body knew what to do. I ate, I ate that night because it wasn't about proving anything. Right. Just like I'm not trying to prove anything when I go longer than two minutes in the ice bath. Right. Nothing to prove. Yeah. It's just, it, it's just a stressor. I'm just here. Right? And so it was like, all right, well, uh, I'm going to eat dinner because my body fucking needs it. You know, my heart's racing. This feels scary. It's time to eat. Yeah. You know, so. And, but and instead of a fear response, it's a choice. It's a it's choice. choice. And, and we've right. done two recent episodes on fasting. And so that's a great point that Brian brings up is that when you need to eat, not when you want to eat, not when ghrelin, you know, is released and you're like, oh, I'm hungry because it's 12 o'clock because this is when I eat all the time. Like when you need to eat or if you are extremely uncomfortable or if you're feeling sick, break your fast. Right. Do it intelligently and, you know, have a dope. Right, you know what? What's the acronym stand for again? It's data on previous engagements. Beautiful. What? And so the moments that I broke my fast, it's because I was so stressed, and I didn't need to add more stressors to the right. mix. Right? right. Looking at your whoop score when you're when you're fasting, there's a lot of stress involved in it, and mm -hmm. we're causing stress in it. Yep. And we're making we're making the body uh, dig down deep like the root analogy in the vines to find those pieces of cells that don't serve us anymore mm -hmm. to obliterate the pieces of cancer 
to use as energy instead of allowing to grow uncontrolled, right? And cell autophagy, what Brian's discussing, happens after as little as 36 hours of fasting. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you can fast from Thursday night to Saturday morning and get the benefits of that pre-programmed cell cleanup that Brian's discussing. So, you know, it's a wonderful tool. Go back and listen to the past couple episodes on that. And it's a great mental teacher as well. There's two things that I want to bring up about fasting. The first is widening the wedge, right? So I mentioned the only freedom we have is our, our freedom to choose, mm-hmm. right? And that's wedged between stimulus and response, response, right? That's a critical thing here. So in fasting, in breath holding, in ice work, in the rewilding, the undomestication of Brian Muka and hopefully others, mm-hmm. right? It's fun. It's fun to go out and embrace your inner savage. Mm-hmm. Let it out. You're an amazing you're an amazing person. And we have all these superpowers that we forgot that we had. Yeah. You know, some of the mind-blowing ones are our ability to go 2 weeks without food with no problem. Yeah. Most of us. And if you have an eating disorder, just disregard everything I just said, right? <laughs> Disclaimer, we are not doctors. However, <laughs> we just play them on TV. Right. We play we play doctors on a podcast. Yeah. Um yeah, so the whole idea is that in that space of, okay, my stomach hurts, i got to eat. Do I? Question it. Is it true? No, it's not true. Well, what if it's true? Is it useful? Well, no. Then throw it out. Like, it, it doesn't matter, right? And it becomes a space in which we can widen the wedge. So we can find the breath. We could do an ice bath. Ice baths are great for quenching hunger. Mm-hmm. Drinking tea. Going and playing my ukulele going, doing pirate shit with my friends. Like, you know, the, the play is critical mm-hmm. to keeping stress low, mm-hmm. right? And how we show up for the uh, explosive, the, the, the in the moment explosion, right? There's a second thing to this too. So, so we got the idea of widening the wedge with fasting mm-hmm. and the breathing and the no shoes and the rest of the undomestication. But the second thing is do nothing, get the result. Making it easy. It can be easy. Yeah. You know, and I, Dr. Fung, uh, did you reference that in your in your show? Um, I did not. F-U-N-G, Dr. Fung. So for type 2 diabetes, body composition, uh, preventing cancer, those things, his, he's the forethought on fasting right now. Not just water fasting, but if you want to do bulletproof coffee or bone broth, you know, make the fast work for you. You figure out how you want to run your experiment. Um, but uh, he talks about like, you know, when, when people go to do a diet, they're like, oh, I can't afford that. Food's expensive. Mm-hmm. Not expensive to fast. Yeah. <laughs> right? uh, I have a nut allergy. Cool. You Don't can eat. fast. <laughs> hey, I'm vegan. Yeah, you can fast. Right? Like, like a lot of these excuses. And the excuses will come up. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think about before I get in the ice bath, like, eh, I'm kind of feeling not so great today. Maybe I shouldn't mm-hmm. ice, but you're fine. Get in the fucking ice. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. Or it's, it looks really cold. Get in the fucking ice. Like, your ego will make excuses for you. Hey, I, I have, you know, I'm hypoglycemic. That's the point. I want your blood sugar to be low mm-hmm. to lower insulin, mm-hmm. right? And so I just want to come back to the do nothing, get the result. It doesn't have to be hard. It can be easy, you know? And there's a lot of lessons we have to learn the hard way because we're fucking stubborn. Because <laughs> we're humans. Because we're humans, Yeah. right? And the fasting is such a great reminder that we can hold out our hand and do nothing and get the result. You know, just easing into letting the body do what it already knows how to do. It's a beautiful question. What would this look like if it were easy? Yeah. 
And w- something that I... Why have... can't it be easy? Why can't is it my be question. easy? I don't Often. Know. I don't... Yeah. Why can't this be easy? This should... I mean, why am I making this so hard when it doesn't need to be? Right. Um, I don't love the can't word in that yeah. statement. So I'm sure... Perfect transition. That's right. <laughs> let's yeah. talk about Unlifted. Yeah, let's talk about Unlifted. So, um, <laughs> cognitive fitness. Cognitive fitness. You'll be hearing that very often and not just from us. Yes. So, uh, next week... We're going to Austin. Yeah, I'm not jealous or anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that was such a genuine laugh. Rude. Don't, don't touch me. Don't, don't touch me. Don't pound. Don't try an high five. So, um, Carrie, you're jealous. Yeah. Of is course. That, is that what you're experiencing? Well, I am so happy because Dave and I actually had a conversation about this. Um, and I was very proud to say that I am so excited, like genuinely pumped for you guys. This is going to be awesome. It's amazing in terms of like networking and getting our message out there and bringing all of these tools that we've each amassed individually mm-hmm. to folks. Um, and I'm so excited for you guys. I'm excited for GS and Fear Sherpa and Procabulary and Lifted. Mark, Mike, um, I'm excited to learn, you know, via y'all's podcasts and vlog and, and recaps and stuff like that. But, I mean, I'm also very honest, you know, I wish I could get to go, so I'm, I will go next year. Next year, yes. Next year, I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> Write that shit down. <laughs> I already did. Yeah. We're, we're I ma- mean, I wrote it mani- down for this year, but... We're, we're manifesting that. Right, yeah. we are. And so, yeah. uh, so, we're talking about cognitive fitness, right? Mm-hmm. And we talked about a big portion of this already. Uh, the breath, I cannot stress enough what a superpower that is, uh, often overlooked, hiding underneath our nose the entire time. So a lot of the work that I do with uh, speakers, finding the breath while speaking, mm-hmm. exaggerated breath, to really drive home the point. Mm-hmm. It's not just confidence, it's comfort, Yeah. Mm-hmm. right? So using the breath in strategic ways. It's good for reading. So noticing what your breathing is doing when you're reading, like that's the next level, how to learn faster, is the easy breathing while reading. Or... While you were listening to this podcast, yes. did you notice anything when day when you know we were talking about jumping out of planes? How did you feel? Where were you breathing? In your mm-hmm. chest, I bet. Mm-hmm. Right. That's that's the sympathetic response. Mm-hmm. If we spend too much time mouth breathing, sympathetically breathing, we turn off our cardiovascular system has to work much harder. <sighs> it takes a lot more energy. Turn off our immune system. I've got a whole thing, man. Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. (laughs) So I want you to hold your hands up and and hold the four fingers up. Unless you're driving, as always. So on the first finger, your pointer finger, mouth breathing. (sighs) That's broken, right? We're supposed to be breathing through our noses. The next thing that's going to happen is going to affect our cardiovascular system. So I go from 60 beats a minute to 90 beats a minute. That's That's not easy breathing. That's not easy cardiovascular system. The other thing that's going to happen is I'm going to start releasing more neuroadrenaline. Right, so now the endocrine system isn't doing what it really needs to do to rest and digest, right? So if adrenaline is present, I just turn off my immune system. It's a whole cascade of failure because the breath isn't as efficient as it is. That's why I teach breathing the same way that we teach snatching, like an elegant Olympic weightlift or a golf swing is our breath. Like, and the more I go down this rabbit hole, the more I realize, man. There's a lot here. Well, right. and think about it. You're breathing all the time. You're not snatching all the time. Right. You're swinging a golf club. Right. You know, we do this without thinking about it. You know, it's, we have to, to live, 
to you know continue moving. And so if you could figure out how to retrain that mm-hmm. and do it more efficiently, then you're well on your way. But paleo. Yes. So this breath work has to do a lot with what you guys are going to Paleo FX to teach people about. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what Paleo FX is first. So it's a yearly conference. And so when I say Paleo, you know, we're talking about rewilding, mm-hmm. you know, all things on that purpose. How do we eat better? How do we live better? And it's it, this whole collision of thought leaders like Rob Wolf, Aubrey Marcus, um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's just it's it's a who's who's of cutting edge health and wellness and biohacking and getting back to things you know our ancestral past and the things that are more natural mm-hmm. and minimalistic and things that are more in tune with who we are before technology and industry and you know civilization greatly enhanced our lives but also made things. L- exceedingly more complicated yes and so this is us getting back to those ancestral roots and learning how to do so most efficiently in a way that is sustainable and that has far-reaching impact because you know one of our favorite questions that carrie's going to ask brian here in a minute or two is you know what is impact and impact is to me the ripples that you create and send out into your world and so you know the way that that we have I, 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 the way I'm viewing paleo is I'm going to go and I'm going to learn some really cool shit from some really cool people and be able to share that with you all, the listeners, and share that with, you know, Carrie and come back and share that with Brian. And, mm-hmm. and we can share that with the people that we're, you know, going to be with. And, and, and I mean, it's just... That's why we're coaches. That's why we're coaches. Mm-hmm. It's exciting. Mm-hmm. They're clients. I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, it's the coolest job in the whole world, being a coach. I mean, you yeah. actively get to help people achieve what they really, really want. You're empowering other people to go and get what they want to do. You know, so we're going to Paleo. We're helping out the the team of Mike Bledsoe and Mark England uh, with their new product, Enlifted Athletes, the way of the Enlifted Athlete. And this is pioneering a new um, realm of mindset and fitness called cognitive fitness. And Mm -hmm. it's, you know, how do you... How does... How do the words that you choose on a regular basis impact everything else that you're doing, both in the gym and outside of the gym? Mm-hmm. And so we're going to go and and you know help those guys run their booth, and you know be able to share this this message in this course that they've created. If you do not know who Mark England is, we interview him on our fourth podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely check it out. He talks about vocabulary, which is you know his first. I think one of his first. Um, endeavors with language and the power of the words that we use. Um, so he has teamed up with Mike Bledsoe, who has more of a fitness background, mm-hmm. to really create a course very specific to the language that you use when you are training. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with this course that they are kind of that you guys are going to be talking about, uh, is it online course? Yep. You know, what are some of the lessons that they take you through just to kind of give folks an idea of some of the exercises? Yep. So it is a, uh, there's a couple of different components to it. It's the course as, as Brian and I have taken it is a 21 day, um, you know, self-study course, video course 
with writing exercises. Uh, there's also a coaching component to this. There's also a 90-day, um, you know, that has not yet launched, but there's a 90-day, you know, group going through the course and working through things together. Uh, so there's a lot of different ways you'll be able to to learn about Enlifted Athletes. Uh, you can follow Enlifted Athletes on Instagram as well, and then follow our stories over the next, you know, week or two, and, and we'll be sharing a lot about everything that we're learning and, and we're actually going to do a follow-up podcast to this podcast kind of um, decompressing and, and and sharing that information from paleo effects with you guys as well so guys this is next level shit no right doubt. so been studying the subconscious the monkey mind for a long time this is the union of breath and language to really help you achieve your goals right and so a big thing that we talk about right is self-created turbulence how do you change the stories? So you observe a particular thing, right? In the example that we use, my back hurts, mm-hmm. right? Accurate or not? Not accurate. You know, my right rhomboid is twitching. That has nothing to do with pain, actually. Yeah. And so I went from a third of my body being bad, right? To like, all right, I have something that I know how to syst- systematically address, yeah. right? So that's one of those things. You know, comparing your goals to somebody else, right? When you compare, you despair, so now the headspace is even harder to get work done because now you have to overcome the comparison. So the comparison from yesterday, yourself yesterday to today, let's make that easy. Dave's on a different path than I am. We have different goals. So why would I compare you know, what his 10K road time is to mine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what are the stories that we can create? So the ego is very good about filling in details that we don't have. Mm-hmm. What are three other stories that we could write to describe why that motherfucker cut me off in traffic? Mm-hmm. Two of which have nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? That's so interesting. Um, I you know, was able to, to peek a little bit at when Dave was kind of taking the course. Um, and the, that example really resonated with me because every time someone cuts me off and I feel that response, right? I feel that heightened you know, in the explosion moment, I always assume, you know, I don't look at the driver on purpose and I assume that it's dad driving his wife to the hospital to have their first baby. It's awesome. That's, yeah. that's what I always picture. Cause in that situation, I am going to be honking on my horn or I'm going to be making him honk on the horn. I'm going to be like pedal to the fucking metal. Right. So I just always envision that. Um, so that's funny, but he, I mean, but there's power to that in, keeping calm and, and the story that you need to tell yourself, um, or the stories that we, you know, you don't need to tell yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. And, and let go of your past traumas, yeah. right? There's things that have come up if we learn the hard way. Hey, I'm not enough, mm-hmm. right? That was a story I used to tell myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't need to carry that weight anymore yeah. because in order for me to achieve my goals, not only do I have to carry my weight, but all the past trauma weight with me to that finish line. It also affects how I observe phenomenon if I have these stories and these beliefs changing my perspective. Mm-hmm. So we can unlearn those through language, mm-hmm. through writing out what our challenges are, breathing into them and releasing them. Mm-hmm. It's a different world. Your life will be very different 90 days of studying and lifting yeah, and doing the inner adventure work. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, Brian, as Dave spoil alerted, we have one final question. How do you, Fear Sherpa, define impact? Hmm, that's a great question. 
for me, the impact is finding, is leaving the campsite better than I found it. Yep. And I have my little part to do. And, um, yeah, my, my little part has to do with helping people understand that they do have a choice uh, in how they relate to fear and its minions. And really, the more people that can be awoken to using love for fuel as opposed to fear, uh, it's, it makes my heart swell as I, as I think about that. It puts a lot of things into perspective of why I went through what I, what I did. And every single time that that happens, I get it. The suffering is just pain. Teacher. It's become a teacher. So I want to leave this place a little cleaner than I found it. Fuck yeah. Yeah. I love that. Love you, dude. Love you guys. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thank you so much, sir. Yeah, that was fun. Grind on. Grind on. Y'all, what an amazing episode. Thank you again, Brian, for being on our show. Y'all, right now, Brian and Dave are headed to Paleo FX, an amazing conference in Austin, Texas, which is all about health and wellness. And all of those awesome new products on the forefront of the health movement. Please follow along with their journey. You can find Brian at Fear Sherpa on Instagram and Facebook, and you can find Dave at Get Strapped, Stay Strapped. They're going to a lot of awesome talks. They're going to be trying out and testing some amazing new products on the market. Definitely follow along and ask them some questions. Feel free to shoot them a message and ask them anything you'd like about Paleo FX. As always, grind on.